First Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of standing before your people and reading from your word. We pray, Lord, that you would use the scriptures and use this particular passage among your people this very day. We pray that you would give us clear thoughts and clear expression. And may it be a, may the, the thoughts and the, the words that we say uh, conform to your will for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter wrote in a particular historical context. He was writing to a particular people that were being persecuted uh, during the time of transition between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Jesus had been crucified already, and the church was looking forward to the destruction of the temple that Jesus had foretold in the Olivet Discourse. But they were experiencing, in the meantime, persecution from apostate Israel. And so they were being hounded from place to place, just like Jesus said they would be. Jesus had told Israel in Matthew 23 that he would send to them after his crucifixion and after his resurrection, that he would send to them wise men and prophets, and they would stone some of them, and they would chase them from their synagogues, and that they would even kill some of them. And so Peter is writing to a people in the middle of experiencing that. They had turned to Christ. They were among the remnant uh, in Israel that had believed what God had said to Israel through Christ. And they were being persecuted. They had been driven from Jerusalem. We can read in the book of Acts a lot of how that happened. And so they could be questioning God. They could say things like, well, God, we've accepted what you said you would do through your Messiah. We have evidence that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, and we've believed that. Now, why is it that we, as faithful followers of Christ, as those who have embraced the covenant, why are we suffering things that are unpleasant? And why are we being persecuted from place to place? And the temptation was great for them to become discouraged to the point of even abandoning the faith. And so Peter is writing to them to encourage them during this particular situation. But I would say to us today that the remedy that Peter gave the things that he said to them 
are appropriate for every situation in history. And every child of God that is facing difficulties, every family, every church that is facing trials and things that they don't understand and they wish that perhaps they weren't happening, every situation like that, the same encouragement that Peter gave to these disciples is appropriate for the children of God as they face these trials. The Scripture says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be truly furnished unto every good work. So what Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and the rest of the epistle and even 2 Peter is appropriate for us at all times. So let us meditate upon what God has said here. Now, as I said, Peter is writing during the time that God is changing the covenants. Israel had been under the Mosaic Covenant for 1,500 years. And that's about to change. And, and so I want us to be willing to think about what God was doing during this period of time. There's a passage of Scripture in Ezekiel that we read recently uh, in our Bible reading that God said to Israel, Because thou hast not remembered the days of thy youth, but hast fretted me in all things, behold, therefore, I will recompense thy way upon thine head, saith the Lord God. Because they had not remembered what God did for them in their youth, they fretted God. Now, what did God do in the days of Israel's youth? Well, he sent Moses down to Egypt. He said to, the, to Israel, here is the man that I've chosen to lead you out of bondage. And they eventually, after God had given great signs that Moses was indeed the deliverer, he led them through the Red Sea and they, get, they, they received the law at Moses' hands. And so God created Israel in that way. Well, how much more today is it appropriate and should we give heed to thinking about what God did for us in creating us? The last time I preached here, I preached about the great creation that God has brought into existence through Christ. And so Peter is, 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 is depicting things that God has done for us in creating us as a holy nation and creating his new creation. And so if it, was, uh, if it was good for Israel to remember what God had done in her youth, how much more appropriate is it for us to think constantly about what God did for us in our youth as the people of God. As the people of God, He gave us birth in Christ. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself uh, in what Peter's going to say here in just a few moments. But I want us, whatever our situation is, ever how discouraging it is, 
or how challenging it is. I want us to get in the habit of thinking the same way that Peter would have us think. Our support and comfort during times of trial will come from considering the great salvation that God has provided for us. Now listen, I'm not, this is not just Brother Mike's wisdom. This is the wisdom from God. In our times of trial, we will get comfort and support by doing the things that Peter tells us to do which is to consider the greatness of our salvation. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter gives us eight identifiable things that pertain to our salvation. And don't worry, we're not going to cover all eight of them this morning. But he tells us that we should think about the source of our salvation the security of our salvation, the joy of our salvation, how the Old Testament prophets prophesied of our salvation, about how angels look at our salvation, what our response to salvation should be, how much it costs, and the vehicle through which it comes. So I want us to begin this morning by looking at the source of our salvation. If we are facing troublous times, as the disciples were in Peter's day, God says to us, consider the source of your salvation. Now, he tells us three things here about our salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And this involves the work of the Trinity. Paul is like Peter. Uh, In fact, all the apostles are united in this. When they would establish the people of God, they call their attention to the source of their salvation. Now, let me just go ahead and give you the source as outlined by Peter here. Peter says, I want you to remember during times of trial that your salvation comes from the election by the Father. He says that I want you to know that you're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And that we have been not only chosen by the Father, but we've been made holy by the Spirit. Peter continues and says, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. And then Peter says, I want you to realize that the source of your salvation is through the cleansing blood of the Son. Sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So he calls our attention to the source of our salvation as the work of the Trinity. Now, there's something that I want us to see about this as we go through these three things, the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want us to see that we are passive in every one of these things. 
The work of the Father in our salvation, the work of the Spirit in our salvation, and the work of the Son in our salvation is all of God. It is not a cooperative effort. This is a work that we respond to what God does. God is the initiator. God is the one that approaches us and causes us to be able to respond to what he has done. Now, can you see how this would be a great comfort to the people of God that are in trials and in tribulations? If they're out there and they're being tossed to and fro and buffeted, and their emotions get involved, and their physical bodies are suffering perhaps, and they're under mental uh Stress. The tendency, if their focus is not in the right place, the tendency will be for them to look at their own weakness, the weakness of others, the weakness of the church, the weakness of some preacher or something other than God. The only thing that will allow us to have stability in our lives ultimately is the foundation of the work of God. And we must ground ourselves and focus ourselves upon the work of God in our salvation. Now look, I love to discuss theology. And some people have even said that I like to argue. And there may be some truth to that, although I don't get as big a kick out of it as some people seem to think that I do, but I I do enjoy a discussion. I love give and take. I love hearing what God has shown to other people uh, from scriptures, Um, and sometimes I feel that we are called upon to be strong in our doctrinal statements. But this is not something Peter is saying to us. That he says, I want you to go pick a fight with everyone who doesn't believe in the sovereignty of God and doesn't believe in the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like you do and pick a fight with them. He is saying this to precious people of God, the sheep of God. And he's saying, if you're needing stability, this is where you're going to find it. And that's the spirit that I hope that I can bring these thoughts to you this morning. Now listen. The apostles, I have heard it said, I have heard it said that we should not teach on the doctrines of election and predestination and the sovereignty of God We should not preach that. I've heard people say we shouldn't even preach it openly at all. And then I've heard people say, well, if you're going to talk about it, then make sure you're talking about it among people that are mature in their faith and that these are the deeper things of God. Well, I would beg to differ with that because in places like Thessalonica, where Paul came and was there only days. A few days at most. 
And he would make converts. People would follow Christ, mostly Jews, and they'd be baptized. They'd be formed into churches. And that happened in a matter of a few days. And then Paul was removed from them. And a few weeks later, he wrote back to them and says, Brethren beloved, I know your election. Because you, when you heard the gospel, you turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. Now, Paul didn't have this idea that you've got to grow in great theological knowledge and depth before a preacher should present the doctrine of election to you. Paul taught the Thessalonian church in the first few days that this is a foundational part of your stability. You need to understand, Paul says, the doctrine of election that your faith is not the result of something that you decided. It's the work of God's grace and, and, and it's His mercy that has given you this faith. You know, do you remember when Peter was reporting to the, uh, to the, 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 the uh, elders at the church at Jerusalem what had happened at Cornelius' household? He, he came to the church that day and the elders were there and they said, you went in and you ate with someone, you ate with Gentiles. You ate with someone that was unclean. And Peter uh, rehearsed what had happened and what he had preached, the vision he had had, uh, uh, and then how he had been called to Cornelius' household and how he had preached to them. And that while he was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell upon them as he had fallen upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And here is the judgment then that the elders and the, and the apostles gave. They said, well then, God has granted repentance to the Gentiles as well. So this was something they understood. These Gentiles are not going to repent until God grants them repentance. And the Apostle Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, through what he says to them, we understand that, that, that teaching them about how they're saved was something of the first importance. It happened right off the bat to them. And then when Paul writes his epistles, like the epistle to the uh, Ephesians, he tells them immediately upon beginning the letter that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, dearly beloved, Peter is saying to these people that are persecuted, I want you to remember that you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Can you imagine? Let me, let me back up just a moment. We had a speaker here a couple of weeks ago that spoke about creation versus evolution. 
And we rejoiced in that, and we rejoiced that there is so much scientific confirmation of the doctrine of creation. But just for a moment, can you imagine what there was before God spoke and the universe leapt into existence? There was just God. And for all eternity, there had been just God. Now, can you imagine this? That from all eternity, God had loved you and had set his heart upon you. God had chosen you in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Now, I've told this story about, uh, so, so just forgive me, I know some of you have already heard it, but I remember there was a brother in a church that I pastored years ago that, uh, and I loved, I loved him to death, so I, I, I'm not upset with him at all. But this brother did not believe the doctrine of eternal, unconditional election. And, uh, and I think to that extent he was robbed of the comfort that Peter is giving to the people of God here. Peter is saying to you, I want you to know that you are elect by God the Father, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And, uh, so this brother, uh, one day got up, got up, got up in church and gave a testimony. And he said, um, I had a dream last night that God, I was in heaven, and God uh, sent an angel over to me and invited me to come and look at the Lamb's book of life. And uh, he said, I did. And... Uh, and uh, he said, the angel showed me where my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it was a beautiful testimony. Uh, but after it, I, I guess I was a little mischievous. And I uh, went up to him after it was over, and I said, now, brother, I said, let me ask you a question. Um, when was your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And his brother said, well, when I accepted Jesus. And I said, well, let me do, let me get you to do something. Let me give you a postcard, a, a three by five index card. And on the front of it, I'm going to, um, put a statement. And I said, according to the Bible, on the front of the card, according to the Bible, my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I left a blank. And on the back of it, I wrote Revelation 13.8 and Revelation 17.8. And uh, I asked this brother to go home and read those verses and to fill in the blank and bring it back to me the next week. And uh, so, of course, Revelation 13.8 says that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And 17.8 says, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. 
And they that dwell on the earth shall wander, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And uh, so the next week, this brother made no mention of the card or of him filling out the card. And I asked him about it after after we were about ready to go home, and I asked him about it. He said, well, I said, did you fill out the blank? And he said, no. He said, there are just some things that I don't understand. <laughs> and I don't understand it either, dearly beloved. I don't understand how all of this works in minute detail. But what I do believe we should do is we should be willing to accept plain statements of Scripture and allow them to penetrate our souls and give us stability when we are being tossed and turned by the events of this world. And if God says to me, my name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, and therefore that's why I'm not deceived, and that's why I don't follow false doctrine and false prophets, and I, I'm, I'm not out in the world serving the devil because my name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. I think I ought to lay hold on that by faith because that's the Word of God. God said to Israel, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore have I drawn you. God did not set His love upon us, dearly beloved, in response to us meeting a condition. We meet the conditions because God loved us from all eternity. Jesus says to His disciples, You did not choose Me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you bring forth much fruit. So, this lends stability to us because that we understand that if we're saved and if we're the elect, it's not because of what we've done. It's because of what God has done. The first thing out of Peter's mouth when he says, I want you to be built up in the faith, strengthened and able to endure the things, that the trials... Look, look over at, at what he says uh, in verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. The trial of your faith, the testing of your faith. That's what Peter's writing to them to counter and to, to encourage them and to support them and to undergird them in this trial and testing. And the first thing out of his mouth, it says, I want you to know that you were elect by God the Father according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, we're not going to be able to address all of the theological arguments back and forth uh, regarding the doctrine of election. But I would say to us that, that it's important that we think deeply about this 
And not just as a theoretical doctrine, but apply to us. Apply to us individually. Now, somebody say, well, how do I know if I'm one of the elect? That's a good question. Because I don't want to apply something to me that's not true. So, the scripture gives us many, many tests or demonstrations of whether or not we are of the elect. I've already mentioned one of them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul says, I know that you're elect because you believe the gospel of Christ and turn from idols to serve Christ. So where is your heart this morning, dearly beloved? Is your heart in tune with the gospel of Christ? Do you believe the gospel? Now, people get really confused about this sometimes. I know of a situation one time where a young lady turned from uh, another point of view and embraced election, and in trying to explain it to her family, the family got the idea that this young lady didn't believe that you had to believe in Christ. And that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that. In fact, we're saying that the mark of election is that a person does believe in Christ. Because like Acts 13.48 says, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Listen to that. Read that passage about what, what Paul's ministry in Antioch of Pisidia yielded. He preached the gospel. Some of them ridiculed what he was saying. Some of them put him off and said, well, we'll hear you again about this matter. And Luke adds this, but as many as were ordained to eternal life believed the gospel. Now, they didn't believe the gospel in order to become ordained to eternal life, but they believed the gospel because God, from the beginning, had chosen them to salvation through sanctification and belief of the truth, as Paul said in another place. And so you ask, you ask the question, can I take comfort from this? Can I have stability in my life by believing that I have been elected according to the foreknowledge of God the Father? Well, let me ask you this question. Do you believe the gospel of Christ? Not do you believe the doctrine of... I'm not even asking this. I'm not even saying do you believe the doctrine of election just like I do. I'm not asking that. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was God's Son? Do you love Him? Do you want to follow Him and and you hate the world and you hate the sins that you find even in your own life? that separate you from fellowship with God the Father and from fellowship with other believers, do you hate that sin and wish that you could stop it and wish that you could live the rest of your life never committing sin? That's a sign that you've been born of God. 
And if you've been born of God, that's a sign that you are one of the elect. Now, Peter doesn't leave us there with the doctrine of what God the Father has done. But he also talks about what the God the Holy Spirit has done for us. He says, I want you to know you're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. Now, I understand, I understand that in the King James Version, there is a comma there that I kind of skipped over. And I understand that the obedience and sprinkling are joined together in that particular construction. But I would submit to you, and if, if you think this is, um, uh, if you think this is not right, then we can talk about it and, and discuss it. I would submit to you that what Peter is saying to the disciples is that God's Spirit has sanctified you Unto obedience. Your obedience. Now, is it true that, that our sanctification is dependent upon the obedience of Christ? Well, absolutely. But there is a very real sense in which the Spirit of God that comes to a child of God implants in them a love of Obedience and of righteousness that doesn't come naturally. And so Peter is saying to people that have that love, that love the Lord, that love to be obedient, that desire to, uh, to, to serve Him, he's saying to them that that's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I want to say that to us today. Whatever God has for us in the future, whatever He has for our culture in the future, God is saying, find your stability in the fact that I've chosen you and in the fact that the Holy Spirit has drawn you. Never, ever, ever get it in your mind that you can do something pleasing to God without the assistance of the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, Paul says in, over in many places, he says you cannot even truly say that Jesus is the Lord without the Spirit. Does anybody agree with that? That you can't say... Now, you can say, an unbeliever can say, well, Jesus is Lord... But what I'm saying is you can't say it and mean it and have a life that conforms to it apart from the Spirit of God. Amen? Listen, Jesus says things like this in John 3, 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You can't even take the first step, beloved, except the Holy Spirit help you. You cannot even desire the Spirit of God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't desire the kingdom of God. And you'll never take the first step toward the kingdom of God except 
by the drawing power of God's Holy Spirit. Now, if you have desired to follow the Lord, if that desire is in your heart now, it's because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, I've already quoted this uh, verse more than once probably this morning, but I want to uh, quote Second Thessalonians 2.13 once again. We're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from, hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now, let me say something. We uh, get in trouble from both sides sometimes in talking about our doctrine of sanctification. Listen, God did not choose and the Holy Spirit does not draw a people to leave them where they were. There is no such thing as God electing and the Holy Spirit regenerating a person and that person not be radically changed by that. There used to be an argument back in the 19th century among the Baptists, especially those that believed in the doctrines of election and predestination and were Calvinist. And there was a doctrine called the hollow log doctrine. And people were, according to this doctrine, men and women, boys and girls, were like hollow logs. The Holy Spirit working in the life of a person could be like a rabbit running through a hollow log. The rabbit runs through the hollow log, can even run back through the hollow log, and that log is still a hollow log. But he's had the rabbit run through him. Now, beloved, when the Holy Spirit comes to a person and runs through that person, that person is no longer a hollow log. That person is made a living, fruit-bearing, prospering child of God. God brings the Holy Spirit in order that we would be able to do things like Paul admonishes the Thessalonians, he says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit changes our want to. The Holy Spirit... Listen, why... Did God even give us the Holy Spirit? Well, His whole purpose in choosing a people in Christ before the foundation of the world would be so that He could demonstrate us, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, it could demonstrate to the world that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now look here, here's a pulpit, and we're thankful for it. It was donated to us. 
And we're very thankful for it. But there was a workman somewhere that built this. And he, he, he took pains. Whoever it was took pains and, and made decorative designs here and, and made it sturdy and, and made it functional to where he could stand uh, pounding by the preacher and he could hold two or three books up here. This pulpit is the workmanship of some workman. And it's doing what that person meant for it to do. And we enjoy it. And it's a, it's a credit, it's a, it's a, it's an honor to the person who built it. Well, that's what we are. In Christ, we are God's workmanship. And He did not create us to be hollow logs. God created us as His workmanship to be to His praise and to do good works and to praise and glorify Him. And that's what Peter is saying. You have been elected by God the Father, and you've been sanctified by the Spirit of God unto obedience. Third thing, we're talking about the source of our salvation. Our salvation comes from election by the Father, sanctification by the Spirit, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are cleansed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have said a lot about obedience and about showing the workmanship of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that your works are 100% perfect since you came to have faith in Christ. And I sure hope nobody raises their hand. Because John says, if we say that we have no sin, we are making God a liar, and the truth is not in us. So even though God's Spirit is working on us to will and to do of His good pleasure, we still have failures. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, you remember I read to you just a minute ago how that at the very first of that chapter, he tells the Ephesians that God had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. But then he quickly goes into verse 6 and says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, dearly beloved, if we are facing times of trial, we need to understand that our acceptance in the sight of God is based upon what Jesus has done for us. And we're not accepted because even, even if God has elected us and even if God the Holy Spirit has come to us and regenerated us and given us faith in Christ, we are not accepted by what we perform and how much we do. Because even our best obedience, Isaiah would say, our best efforts are like filthy menstruous cloths, filthy rags in the sight of God. And so we still stand in constant need 
of the blood of Christ cleansing us from our sins. That's why passages like 1 John 1, 9 are so important to us. If we sin, God is faithful. And if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness through the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses us so that we can have fellowship with God and so that we can have fellowship with one another. Now, this cleansing by the blood of Christ is so important for us because we will never look. If we're facing difficult times and we're constantly looking at ourselves and saying, well, I don't know that I measure up. I don't know I do this and I've done that and I've had this history of doing things. And if we're caught, that, that, you know what they, those are shackles. Those are chains. Now we don't need to ignore the sin, the sin in our lives, but we don't need to uh, go on and, and just get down in, in, in despair and, and, and get way down in the pit where we can't serve the Lord. God, it says, you are cleansed by the blood of Christ. God has chosen you. The Holy Spirit has drawn you. And He's drawn you to Christ and the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Now look. Then Peter says, Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Do you remember in Psalm 29 that we studied at the last men's prayer breakfast? At the very end, the psalmist says that there was coming a time when God would grant great peace to his people. And that peace now, we know, comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, beloved, as God uh, addresses us as a people that are in uh, difficult times, trying times, unsettling times, uh, turbulent times, he says, I want you to do this as a stability factor as a foundation for your grace and peace, I want you to consider that you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. I want you to consider that through the sanctification of the Spirit, you have been called to obedience. And I want you to consider that you have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you from your sin. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take the word that's has been spoken. Apply it to our hearts. Thank you for it, Father. And bless us, Lord, to grow and to find nourishment from what you have told us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.